Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I have had occasion many times over the years of my ministry to ask people this question. If you were to die today and you were to appear before God, and if he asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you answer? What would your answer be? And almost invariably, when I've asked this of people who are not believers, if they're willing to answer the question, they will say something like this. Well, I'm a fairly good person. I have never robbed a bank or killed someone. And so I think I should be allowed to be with God in heaven. What this demonstrates is that the unbeliever has a faint knowledge of the Ten Commandments. Even the pagans who have never heard of the gospel, never heard of Christianity, have, just by nature of being born as human beings, made in the image of God, fallen, but still bearing the remnants of the image of God. They have a vague knowledge of the general outline of God's moral law. All across the world, children are born and they grow up and they know instinctively that it is wrong to grab a rock and try to kill their mother, even if they've never come into a church in their entire life. It's built into creation. It's built into the human soul. And Paul says in the letter to the Romans that even fallen human beings have the work of the law written on their heart. And based on these external works, not killing and not robbing banks, they feel that they get pretty good marks, or at least that they're not as bad as others. What would your answer be? Try it perhaps with your children at home. What would your answer be? What would your answer be, children, if you were asked, Why should God let you into heaven? Now, unfortunately, often the Christian answer is not the gospel answer. But it is often a legalistic answer. I I go to church. I read the Bible. I do this. I do that. I haven't broken any of God's rules, or at least I think I've kept more rules than other people have. So easily, Christianity is twisted into legalism, and the legalist finds his hope and salvation not in Christ, but rather in the fact that he can point out to others which boxes he has checked and which they haven't. So legalism perverts the gospel into checklist Christianity, where we're always evaluating each other in the light of man-made rules and expectations. Real Christians do this or that. Real Christian women wear this kind of clothing or don't wear that kind of makeup or ornaments. Real Christian parents educate or bring up their children in this way or in that way. And very easily, true Christianity can be subverted and substituted for pseudo-Christianity, which is simply legalism. I remember one time I was speaking with a missionary who had met with two couples in Europe somewhere, I think in France or in Switzerland, 
And they had a wonderful evening together and enjoyed fellowship. They're all Christians. And a few days later, he met one of the couples, and they said, I thought you said that other couple were Christians. He says, yes, they were. But did you see that that lady was wearing makeup? So in her, in their worldview, wearing makeup was a sign of not being a Christian. And he met the other couple. This, this story really happened. My colleague met the other couple a few days later. And they said, I thought you said the other couple were Christians. He says, yes, they, they are. But they drank a glass of wine. And so they each had their list of rules, the checklist that real Christians must check off. And so that kind of legalistic pseudo-Christianity is kind of like the Pharisees of the Old Testament. They were so concerned that God's people would not break the law that they made a fence around the law of hundreds upon hundreds of rules that you were not to break. And so, because those rules were there, you were prevented from breaking the, the, the commandments themselves. Now, in the 10th commandment, which is before us today, God teaches us that he requires far, far more than merely external obedience to the law. And he certainly requires far more than obedience to human-made fences around the law. In Matthew chapter 15, the Lord Jesus Christ quotes himself through the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of Christ inspired Isaiah in chapter 29, and the Lord Jesus Christ quotes himself in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, where he says the following. He says, these people... This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, this is Old Testament teaching. God, already in the Old Testament, wanted his people's heart. And we see that in Ezekiel. We see it in many places, but for instance, we see it in Ezekiel chapter 33, Verse 30, Ezekiel 33, 30. If you have a pew Bible, that's page 721. And here Ezekiel records the following about God's people and the leaders of God's people. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Well, that sounds very good, doesn't it? They want to come and hear the word of the Lord. And so verse 31 and they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on gain. And so they're more than happy to come to hear the word of God. They find the word of God interesting, and to a point stimulating for them, but they will not put it into practice because their heart is not in it. Their heart is set on gain. And you remember, of course, Psalm 50, many other places in the Scriptures, amongst them Psalm 50, where the Lord tears a strip of his people, where he is angry with them because they are meticulously observing the ceremonial laws and making all the right offerings 
And at the same time, their heart is full of adultery and greed and lies. Now, the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 tells us why this checklist Christianity is useless. Just heading back to Matthew 15 there, and this time verse 18. Because no matter how many rules you make up, no matter how many rules you keep, it can't change your heart. And so Matthew 15 verse 18, the Lord says this, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So what is the Lord Jesus saying? The Lord Jesus is saying that it's not enough to try to reach and achieve external obedience to the law without a changed heart. God does not want from us just external acts of obedience. He wants obedience from the heart. And that's a problem for us. Because in our fallen state, that is impossible. Just look at the commandment. We'll look at it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the second time that Moses gives the law. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and it's at verse 21. Just look at the commandment for a moment if you have your Bible handy. 521 of Deuteronomy. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. There are two verbs here, covet and desire. Different verbs in the Hebrew, they mean roughly the same thing. Now, as we look at this commandment, this is not a repetition of the seventh and the eighth. You may look at this commandment and say, well, coveting your neighbor's wife, we, we already had the command not to commit adultery, which includes desire. And desiring your neighbor's house and, and other things, well, that sounds like that was covered in the commandment about stealing. So why, do, why are these things mentioned in the 10th commandment? Again, is God repeating himself here? Well, no. The 10th goes a lot further than the other commandments. In the 10th commandment, God is teaching us that we must not cultivate a heart which is dissatisfied with God's providence. And so it's not, for instance, the covenant of the wife is not so much in terms of the seventh commandment of lust, but it's more in this way. That person has a wife who is like this or that, and I don't. And I want that kind of a wife for myself. Or that person has a house that's like this or that, and I don't. I have no house, or my house is different, and it's not the way I like it. Why can't I have his? So it's more dissatisfaction than anything else. The life of the sinner is the life of the false gospel of not enoughness. The life of the sinner is the life of a heart which says, I want. The Lord is not my shepherd. I want. 
God isn't taking care of me. I deserve more. I don't have enough. Why can't I have a different life and different things and different experiences and different opportunities? And that not enoughness in the soul creates the perfect conditions for every type of sin from the very beginning of history. Sin started with the breaking of the 10th commandment. If you have your Bible handy, turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 for a moment. And you see our mother Eve is there with the serpent. Genesis 3, 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Those two words, delight and desired, are right there in Deuteronomy chapter 5 in the 10th commandment. This is how it sounds in the Hebrew. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight, literally, to be desired. That's a word, the same Hebrew word as we have in the 10th commandment. To be desired to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired, or we could translate to be coveted, because in the, fifth, in the 10th commandment, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 5, that last word is, is translated as covet. So those two verbs in the 10th commandment are right here at the fall into sin of our first mother. That's where it started. It started in the heart, and then it proceeded from there. When we are not content... When we do not live according to the gospel of enoughness, when our soul is not satisfied in God and satisfied with God's providence, then our life is a petri dish with perfect conditions to grow every vile and dangerous pathogen, spiritual pathogen. And James, we, we read James, James gives us the process step by step. If you look there in James chapter 1, and you look at verse 13 to 15. Here's the process. He says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. There's the covetousness right there. Then desire or covetousness, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so covetousness is the beginning of every sin. And that's why the Scripture tells us that we need to focus on the root of sin in order to deal with sin. Imagine you're planting your garden, and you'd like to have lots of different vegetables throughout the summer and flowers. But imagine every day you go out and you're sowing the seeds of weeds and thistles and thorns. And then every day in the afternoon, you're going out and you're identifying the weeds which have grown up and you're pulling them out and you're scratching yourself on those prickles and, and you're, you're putting Roundup to try to kill them. And then the next morning, you're sowing more seeds for more weeds. Well, your neighbor's going to think you're crazy and he's going to be right. Because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to, 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 to sow the seeds of the weeds and then try to pull them once they've grown up. And so Christians, Christians 
who fight not to break a certain commandment. They work really hard trying to keep a commandment, and they fail, and they ask for forgiveness, and they try to keep it again. But they fail to deal with the heart of the issue. They fail to get to the very core problem and to ask themselves, what is wrong in my heart? What in my heart is leading me to think that sin is a good idea? What in my heart is making this sin attractive to me? What in my heart is telling me that it's a smart and good thing to break God's command? Now, this is important. If a Christian is fighting against pornography addiction or a smoking addiction, or any substance abuse. And if all the focus is on external compliance and counting, oh, I went one day without, I went 10 days without, that's good. But that's not the long-term solution. That's not the level at which the battle needs to be fought only. What the Christian needs to do is to cry out to God, along with David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If I'm struggling with sin, if sin and temptation are assailing me, and if I keep tripping up and I keep falling flat on my face and it keeps oppressing me and it keeps trying to enslave me and I keep falling back into the same sin over and over and over, then I need to cry out to God. God, change my heart so that I don't even want that sin. I don't even find it attractive anymore. Jesus did not die to give you a life of checking boxes, to give you a life of checking boxes saying, I've gone so many days without breaking this commandment or that commandment. That's not the Christian life. Jesus died to free us, to free us from slavery to sin. He died to give us a new heart so that we do not even desire sin. The desire is gone because it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am a new person. If anyone, therefore, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And Paul says that to the Romans in Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Romans 6, 17, he says this. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. That's what Jesus died for, to save us from slavery to sin, to change our hearts. Now this takes some getting used to. We have to unlearn old habits, the habits of the flesh. I don't know if you've ever watched that fellow on YouTube, his name, or he has a channel called Smarter Every Day. 
and I believe he's a Christian, he's an engineer, and he does very, very interesting things about technology and engineering. And one time he built a bike where the handlebars worked the wrong way. So if you wanted to turn left, you had to turn the handlebars to the right. So you had to go at, do it the opposite of the proper way. And when he started riding this bike, he kept falling over all the time because he would want to go to the right. He would turn the handlebar the right way and, the, and the, the bike would go the other way. But after a time, he practiced and practiced. He fell and fell and finally he got the hang of it and he started riding this bike normally. Then he was in Holland where there are a lot of bikes and then he, he tried to ride somebody else's bike the proper way and he couldn't do it anymore. He started falling over. They thought he was making it up. They couldn't believe him. But he had trained his mind and his muscle memory and all the other things. He had trained himself to work in that other way. And that's basically what needs to happen to us. We need to unlearn the way of the flesh. And we have to learn the way of the spirit. And that's not easy. It's not easy to get rid of those ingrained habits of the old man. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. And he says, he's, he's frustrated. He says, I, I do what I do not want to do. And what I want to do, I do not do. This is the apostle Paul. He's struggling with this new bike where you have to turn it the other way that he's used to, and he keeps falling over. So this is a hard process. Now, why is it that Paul is frustrated? He's not frustrated that he's not checking off boxes in a checklist. He's frustrated because he is falling back into the old ways of sin, and this is not who he is. That's the reaction of the Christian when we fall into sin. It bothers us not because we've broken a checkbox. It bothers us because this is not who I am. This is not me. I am a baptized boy. I am a baptized girl. I am a baptized woman. I am a baptized man. The love of God has been poured into my heart. And I want to hate sin. And I want to love righteousness because I am a child of God. So what do we do? Well, this is where the Lord's Day leaves us and it sets us up for the next section, which is the section on prayer. We do what Christians always do. We do what God's children always do when we need anything. We turn to God. And we ask him because he is our good and loving father, the father of lights, and from him come down every good gift from heaven, as we read there in James chapter 1. And because we do not want to love sin, but we long for righteousness, we pray, we cry out, we plead with God, oh God, sanctify me in your truth. We, don't only do, we do not only pray, oh Lord, wash me and cleanse me. That's important. But more importantly yet, we pray, God, change me. Change my desire. Change my priorities. Change my longings. Make me love what Christ loves. Make me like the Lord Jesus. Because this is who Jesus is. Psalm 40 talks about him. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. That's where we want to be. That's who we want to be. 
That's who we want to look like. Because this is who Christ was. He simply wasn't interested in sin. He only had a heart for one thing, and that is to love God, to glorify God, to obey God, to delight in doing God's will. And so we pray. We pray, O Lord, make us like Christ. Now, the 10th commandment in Christ is a promise. The Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled it perfectly for us. And his righteous observance of the law is ours by faith, by grace. And in Christ, the 10th commandment is a promise. It describes who we are increasingly in Christ. The commandments are set in the Hebrew in the future tense. And so we could translate, you will not covet. That can be an imperative. It can also be a promise. And it also is a promise. You will not covet. The more the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ works in your heart and life, the more this will be true of you. You will not covet. That's not what you're going to do. Because that's not who you are going to be. Christ has set you free from slavery to sin. It is not the boss of you anymore. You don't have to listen to it. And so what does the scripture say? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's the promise of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ did not die to wash away our sins and then leave us here in this eternal cycle of sinning and asking for forgiveness and sinning and asking for forgiveness. That's not the goal. That's not what he died for. He died to make us new creations. He died to transform us by the power of his spirit into men, women, and children that look like him. And the longer that we know God, the longer that we're under the word and the means of grace, it gets better and better and better. Until one day, there is no more sin. No more desire to sin. There's just perfect, holy, infinite love. That's where he's bringing us. Now in Psalm 24, we, we begin the service singing Psalm 24. Psalm 24 asks, who is allowed to enter into the, into the presence of God? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And we know that this psalm is about our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the perfect man. He is the holy and righteous man. He is the holy and righteous son of God who has every right to enter into the presence of the Father. And so, because he is the king of glory, the perfectly holy, perfectly obedient, perfectly righteous Son of God, the gates of heaven open wide to welcome him home as the son of the king. And because Psalm 24 speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 24 speaks about you. 
Because you, believer, are in him. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And so when you appear before the gates of heaven, they do not open wide because you read your Bible or because you went to church or because you did this or because you did that or because you met the expectations of the elders or the gossipers or the people that thought they were really good Reformed Christians. That's not why the gates of heaven open for you. But when you appear before the gates of heaven, they open wide and the angelic angels blast on their trumpets and the shout of victory and glory goes up. Make way for the daughter of the king. Make way for the son of the king because you come as someone who has God in your heart and your heart is in God. And so in Christ, the king of glory, you are welcome home. Amen.